Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Coming up next, the star killer herself, art director Amy Beth Christensen. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. Welcome to another episode in our Star Wars series. And this time we have a Lucasfilm and ILM veteran, Amy Beth Christensen. ABC, as she is more commonly addressed as, has been a concept artist and art director for over 20 years in the Star Wars universe, working on video games like The Force Unleashed, animated series like Star Wars Resistance and The Bad Batch, and now the feature films. Joining us for this talk is also former podcast guest and concept artist Jeremy Saliba, who helps take us deeper into the world of concept art and design. So enjoy our chat with Amy Beth Christensen. Star Wars was the first movie I ever saw in a theater as a kid, uh, a million years ago. And it really stuck with me. Um, it kind of helped. I had a, a pretty nerdy family. We were all into sci-fi, Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff. I watched it over and over and over again as a kid. Um, and then we used to get the Starlog magazines and I don't remember how old I was, but they had an article about Ralph McQuarrie and about how he drew the designs the characters and everything for Star Wars. And up to that point, I didn't even realize that was a job or a thing you could do. And so then I decided, well, that sounds fun. I'm going to do that. And I just started drawing and drawing and drawing. And um, I never put the pencil down, I guess. And then I was just convinced I needed to go to art school. I come from a small farm in Kansas. So I didn't have anything to like, you know, uh, <laughs> I didn't have... Anybody to tell me that it was a good idea or a bad idea, necessarily. Um, so I, I went I went to the Kansas City Art Institute, um, and then I also went to Ringling. And I majored in illustration. I took a bunch of 3D classes and a bunch of storyboard classes. And I actually got hired at Lucasfilm right after graduation. It's the only job I've ever had, which is, I don't know if that's sad or not. But it's uh, I've been there for 20 years, but I've worked um, in the games division, uh, LucasArts. And then I worked at uh, Lucasfilm Animation on things like Clone Wars and Rebels and Resistance. Um, and now I'm at the ILM Art Department as an art director working on films and other projects. And, and explain to us, you know, when somebody says art director, that, that's kind of, it's like art director and creative director are these two titles that seem somewhat mythic and somewhat <laughs> like the hardest to explain. It's like, I'm an art director. What does that mean? I yell at you. What's a creative director mean? I get yelled at by him. Um, <laughs> for art director for, for film and for the projects that you're working on, briefly walk us through what the idea of, of an art director is. I, I always kind of thought of myself as just, I'm still a concept artist. 
I just happen to have this title because I'm, I'm sort of still doing the same job I was doing as a concept artist. Um, there are more responsibilities, like you are in charge of a team usually um, on a project and you work more closely with the directors um, to kind of like establish the vision and the feel of what it's going to be. Uh, you're more responsible for the, like the viz dev part of, of a project as well. Um, but it's still day to day. I'm still using the same skill set and I'm still doing, you know, what I've always done as a concept artist. Um, and I think that that's about, about it really. Well, that's good because I'm going to segue that to Jeremy because that's where I kind of lose it. Concept art and viz dev is kind of a new thing to me and it's fascinating and amazing. Um, but I don't know much about it. So I'm going to let Jeremy ask you some questions on that because I know he's got much better questions than I do. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so working at Lucasfilm, uh, for now, uh, 20 years, you say, um, the, uh, my, I grew up seeing Ralph McQuarrie paintings as well, but I, concept art, it seems to me as an industry was established with the prequels, with the Phantom Menace. That's when concept art really kind of, so you were getting in there around that time, uh, which is kind of amazing. So there wasn't, the concept art wasn't a major at colleges at that point and like that. So you had that illustration background, right? And that's exactly. What yeah. So, I mean, looking through your work and the work that I've seen of yours, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous cinematic aspect to what you're doing. Were you, I mean, that's not necessarily something they teach to illustration students, although you said you took some storyboarding classes as well. Like, what was your, did you learn that on the job? Was there a foundation element to that before? I think I've always um, loved to read books. I've always seen every movie I could possibly see you know, that my mom would let me. Um, mm -hmm. Even then, sometimes I would get dad to take me. <laughs> uh, so the storytelling aspect has always been the most interesting to me. Um, I loved taking history of literature, history of film, history of you know, art history classes in college, and I, I kind of soaked those up and took as much of that as possible. Um, and it's helped me in my career because then when you are drawing something, designing something, uh, doing a keyframe, you're sitting there thinking about what's the storytelling aspect of this image, of this character, of the set, of this mm -hmm. prop that's just a lead pipe. Like, what's its mm -hmm. story? Like, um, and you work that in, and it all kind of goes to further that vision of what the the story is going to end up being and what the director is trying to get across. Yeah, that's I. Anytime I ever talk to anybody whose work I really enjoy, uh, every time it's they find the story. It's almost as if that's a really important aspect to uh, this job. Um, <laughs> almost, yes. Now, I think your cinematic eye goes even beyond that, though. Like, but I, obviously, so you talked about watching a lot of movies, so clearly you were absorbing a lot of what you saw because your staging, your focal points, your your foreground, midground, and background, all these elements in the way that you handle values. Uh, again, it's it's tremendously cinematic. And like, for instance, looking at the Force Unleashed concept art uh, that you did, um, uh, which is a game I loved. Um, uh, cause game art, you know, I, sometimes it's cinematic, sometimes it's not, you know, with game, with a lot of fixed, you know, uh, composition, that's not always as critical, but your concept art really did that, which I think enhances storytelling. But, you know, is there anything that you attribute to understanding that real technical aspect? Was it observing film? Was it, you know, influencing from co-artists and stuff or? I would say it was mostly, um, everything that I had soaked up before, but the other thing that really helped, especially on Force Unleashed is that, um, you know, the directors, like Hayden Blackman, is a storyteller. He writes books. So everybody was really focused on this aspect of what is the story we're trying to tell. And, um, you know, trying to design, like, the main character, like, the main characters, like Starkiller and stuff, it was really, 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 like, 
what is their backstory? Like, we're not going to have a cinematic that describes this backstory. We need to look at the guy and know that he's, you know, been living in the dungeon his whole life. And, and now he's kind of being brought out and he's, you know, he's not in charge. Like he has, he has to answer to Vader for everything. So there was all of these things. It's like, well, what can we do visually? Like, what are some unique takes on that for his costume, for everything, for his poses? I, I did tons of pose studies. I'm not an animator, but I did a ton of just silhouette pose studies. You know, is he always kind of, he's not going to stand up straight. He's not his own man. He's got to, he's going to be a little bit crouched all the time and what are some cool saber moves he can do while he's kind of in his crouch position. Um, wow. I'm going down a rabbit hole that I hadn't even thought of. No, so thank I just, you. I'm <laughs> eating with a spoon right now because his... the, the question, you know, you had talked before, before we started and that, that's a, that's a, a question that makes, it, it blows everyone's mind. It's like, well, you got to tell a story, but we're not going to publish that story. You're not going to draw that story. You're not going to see that story, but we need to sit down and brainstorm this entire story for this character to exist, if you, like you said, if you're we're talking about books, you can do, let's do five chapters on, you know, why he has the lead pipe, why he's doing the thing. And that's just, you know, fodder for fun. But if you're doing like a game where you're only going to see him on screen for a quick moment, you have to be able to do that. But yeah, keep going on that. Cause that's, that, that's what we're here for. That's, that's the gold. Those stories to help make it help inform, right? If you're going to make a choice about a pose or about a shape, uh, uh, the backstory is going to help you cohesively create something that does tell something visually um but yeah that that his gesture alone you know yeah that crouched ready kind of like you know almost monstrous black lagoon kind of arms out kind of thing that he had and then holding the backwards lightsaber he's got a unique silhouette just in his stance alone separate from uh the costume and i thought yeah as a as a concept artist and and in a visual development stage i think it's especially important to kind of think those things through and when you're presenting your options to at least hint at it right so it's like if I drew a very straight, standing up straight Star Killer, um, looking very heroic, it didn't have the same effect as him looking a little bit broody and moody, like um, in a lineup. And um, oh, the other thing I've learned too in Star Wars is just cheat. This is cheat code. If you want to get anything approved and they have a lightsaber, make sure the lightsaber's on in the concept <laughs> art for the character. Don't just have a hilt. You have to have the lightsaber on. So that it's, makes a big difference too. <laughs> it's always so heartwarming when we talk to these leaders in the industry and they, they reaffirm the things. I'm always talking to students in character line classes that gesture is a tool. It's another storytelling tool you have for what you're doing. And yes, there's a lot of concept art out there where it's just a standard pose with multiple costumes being explored on copies. And that's something people do to save time on a production. Yes, but... We're trying to be better. We're trying to create a portfolio that gets you noticed. These are the tools. And so, yeah, to hear you say that is, oh, uh, <laughs> it, 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 that makes sense. Isn't that also kind of like tapping people on the forehead going, hey, it, this is important. It's a lightsaber. Why are you not paying attention to this? Isn't that? It's, it's the cherry on the Sunday. It Exactly. And you can, if you bring someone a beautiful Sunday and there's no chair on, they go, well, it's nice, but where's the cherry? And you go, okay, here. And you put the chair and they go, oh, now it's a Sunday. I think, I think the more important, the bigger, broader picture here is use the tools and gifts that you are given for a design and don't overlook anything. They're all opportunities. Yes, right? they're and all you, opportunities and everything. And I think um, kind of bouncing off, off what you were saying about, you know, it's just costume exploration. Um for us and in games and animation and film and everything, I think that that's something 
people kind of fall into really quickly is, oh, this is just a costume exploration. It's not. Pretend you're a casting director. Uh, if you have a character, give them three to five completely different people, completely different body types, proportions, faces, hairdos, completely different costumes. They need to fit in the brief, um, but we're looking for the biggest range of ideas, like the broadest range of ideas. And, and the wider you can cast that visual net, uh, the, kind of the more valuable your ideas become to a project as well. Um, so I think that, yeah, you, you kind of, it's easy to kind of devolve into that. It's just, it's just changing the colors or just changing the shoelaces, but it's not, it's much, much more important, especially the first couple rounds to see how wild and wacky you can get with your visual problem solving. So you're someone obviously has been working both sides of the divide from a concept artist to now an art director. And I mean, to me, that seems to be a top priority too, is to provide options, right? To and I don't know, I try to, I try to, I try to surprise my art director. I try to innovate, right? And like you said, you have a constraint, you have a brief that you have to, a bound you have to work with. And so how much can you push up against those borders? I always, I have this kind of uh, process that I've used for like the last 20 years and it seems to work pretty good. Um, for the first couple rounds, at least for the first round, I haven't shown anybody any designs, any options yet. That first time I show somebody to get approval or to start talking about it, I'm going to give them three to five options. That first, the first one on the page is going to be the closest to what was described to me in a kickoff, in a brief, because I want, I want the director to feel like I've really put, invested the most time and energy into their vision, which is true. Um, but then I can start to sort of get a little bit crazier with options two, three, if I've got a lot of ideas, four and five. Uh, and by the time you get to f five, it's like, I know you asked for a hippo, here's a giraffe. It still works. Like, um, it could work and stuff. So um, you can kind of approach it that way. And it seems to work really, really, really well for me. Yeah, that's like the job, really, right? Is to, because we're the cheapest phase, really, right? Let's come up with some wacky ideas and see and even rule things out, uh, as it were. So as an art director, is that something you're hoping for as well exactly. from uh, your artists? Absolutely. Yeah, you need to see different problems solves because it's like um, if, if I had an idea for a direction, or more importantly, the director had a, a, a specific sort of idea, you want to know that, okay, that was a great solve, that was a good idea, that was a great base, um, and, that, and then I sort of evolved it a little bit, you know, like each artist kind of like, well, I evolved it a little bit. It could go this direction or this direction or this direction too. Um, and it just gives you more ideas that you can kind of work back into the story too. You know, it's like, oh, you might, maybe your idea number three was an evolution of the original idea number one. And it actually does better at furthering the feeling of the story and the storytelling aspect and actually pushes it in a way that oh, that's still part of the story, but it's way farther in that direction. Let's now take that. And everybody now start kind of working off of this to see if it's going to break, if it's going to fit. Um, so I think it's just inspirational, uh, first and foremost. But also it's just, it's nice to work with artists that have original ideas and can explore all of these different things. And and like like I said, the, the broader their skill set for problem solving, the more valuable they are to a project, even if ideas two through five never get picked 
it's just a, it's just a valuable thing to have. And Alice has to kind of inform it, you know, the, uh, all along. Uh, even if, yeah, it doesn't get used, it helps find the direction. You know, how does that work from a creative standpoint where you're creating, you know, if, if I'm a junior artist and I'm creating in a world where I'm in this closed ecosystem of Star Wars where I can do anything, but can I do anything <laughs> is the question. Is, is, is there... Is there parameters? Is there, um, is it is something like, okay, that's just too wacky. You, you can't, we can't possibly have Yoda jump up and down and, and do backflips. That's just not possible <laughs> until it happens. And we're like, okay, I get it. I, it totally works. Is there guidance that you're giving or even as you're seeing as a, as a, as a creator yourself going, well, I'm in the constraints of a world, but a world that really has no reality that I am constrained by. How does, how does that work when you're creating? Uh, to a certain extent, especially if I'm working with a junior artist, um, or if I am a junior, I'm going to put myself in the position of a, of a junior artist. I'm if I had a wacky idea, but I wasn't quite sure about it, I'd go to the art director and be like, "Hey, I had this idea. Like, I want to run it by you before I draw it. If it's too wacky, if I'm way too off base, and then we'll have a conversation about why, what, what part of the idea." is valid and what part is probably pushing it too far. But in general, I would say, yeah, kind of keep, don't be completely wacky with two through five, just reserve number five for your really wacky one. Um, because then you've just turned in a lot of really wild ideas that, that maybe aren't very feasible. But also making those mistakes are important because you're going to learn every time you do it. Um, like for Star Wars, the no two biggest rules are there's no visible buttons and no visible zippers on any costume, right? So it's the first time somebody draws, like, pajamas with buttons on them. You're like, hey, there's no buttons in Star Wars. Like, go back and double-check it, right? Um, don't If you don't believe me, go watch all the movies. And then um, and then you've learned, and then you're never going to draw buttons on Star Wars again. So it's it's things like that. Like, it's, it's an important learning experience as well. So don't reserve your... Like, don't... I wouldn't hold back too much in your ideas, but it's good to run them by if you're not quite so sure. Well, then, and then the, the flip side of that, because you, you and I had talked before we started, when you're doing art direction for a director, you said some directors are extremely creative and open to this process, and some are more technical. Some are thinking more on the technology side. How do you then interpret or pitch these ideas and this, these iterations you have to those two different types of directors, the creative and the technical? I don't think there's any one proper equation that's going to be a fix-all for everybody, but it does go back towards the idea that as an artist, you need to kind of expose yourself to like as many situations and as many different directors and feed, be open to feedback, be flexible all the time, because um, you're going to have different directors and they're going to have a different approach. And it's, it's about working with those people to still get to the same end game. Um, so it's just, you sort of need to build that experience of what it's like to work with different people and, uh, and kind of like learn your way around, um, even just dialogue, like people are going to use different words to describe different things and it's okay to ask questions and, you know, be a little bit annoying if you think you're being annoying of like, just ask a lot of questions. Um, like, do you mean this? Um, and usually the good thing about our job is that people respond to pictures more than they do descriptions or words. So if you can describe it in a picture, then everybody's pretty okay, like being able to respond to that. 
but like I said, it's just sort of like be open and and kind of like keep your head up a little bit from project to project to project to task to task to task and kind of figure out um, what other people are doing and and kind of how you can apply that later on if it happens to you. So you talk working with different directors and different styles because there's also going to be because I mean. I agree with everything you're saying, and I think that you know we're, we're that's what we are—we're problem solvers, right? That's our job is to find visual solutions to these these story uh, issues that are coming up. And so, when that's your job, and you're you know working with a director who's overseeing the project, then sometimes you might even disagree. But our job is still to facilitate their vision. That's what I've seen sometimes. I'll try to like show them maybe a, the avenue that I think works best, but sometimes they don't agree, and it's still my our job to facilitate their vision right exactly that's it's really important early on i think to even go over photo reference i I usually gather photo reference of even just lighting and mood even if it's not even remotely like the same set you know that we might be talking about and i'm like um is this sort of the feeling you're going for because i it's more important to understand their direction and their vision as early as possible so then you can kind of get on board with it and kind of start to live in it yourself and and see how you can interpret this and give them what they want and and not have that miscommunication happen later on. So do you remember like when you first started, like what so you were a junior artist, you had you you submitted a portfolio, all excited, uh, coming out of art school. And uh, ILM LucasArts, LucasFilm said, hey yeah, we wanna we we're interested. We want to see more. We want to talk to you again. You do a couple backflips. You do some cartwheels. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you were at RISD, you said? So you were on the East Coast? I was at Ringling. Yeah. Ringling. So East, that's Florida, correct? Yeah. So then you flew out to California. Mm-hmm. Interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume George Lucas right away, right? That's that. Oh, yeah. It was one. him personally. He, he's at the gate, right? <laughs> he just stands there and your, your, your parking stuff. You get interviewed. They say, this sounds great. Come in. You start. Monday, you know, we'll go over some stuff. What was your first job? Do you remember? Like, yeah, I do actually. Uh, it was really nice uh, because I I did have some three D work in my portfolio, but obviously I had kind of concentrated on more of the illustration part. Um, and when they interviewed me, they said, "Hey, we don't have any concept artist positions open yet, but we're in desperate need of an entry level three D modeler, um, and you've got like the bare bones." of the skill set. Um, and basically it's, you know, we think you're going to be a good fit with the team, which is another really important part of the job. You're always working with a team. So it's like be a good team player, right? It's like kind of the, the other 30% besides problem solving. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so I got started, but it was as an entry level 3d artist. Um, I had a lot of catch up to do, but it's a great place. All of Lucasfilm, every department I've ever worked in is fantastic because everybody's the best at what they do. And if you don't know something, there's always like the guy sitting next to you, the girl sitting next to you that's like, hey, how do you do this? And they will work with you and teach you how to do things. So I think the last 20 years, I've just been learning nonstop, like different programs, different cheat codes, different like tips and tricks, like all this type of thing. Um, so that was really nice. And then, but pretty early on, actually, even on that same project, the concept art position kind of opened up. So I kind of eventually wheedled my way into full-time concept art, but I still use that 3D all the time. It's kind of nice because nowadays almost, uh, 
most concept artists, actually everybody I know, relies on 3D uh, a lot for their, their base. Uh, and so that never went away for me. I've, I've, I've been using it the whole time. Interesting that you got hired for one thing and then transitioned to another. Some, t- some people try to say that, that you can't do that, that whatever job, I've heard that before, that whatever job you get hired for is what you're going to be stuck in for the rest of your career. And um, I've had a few, you know, positions in a few different companies and I haven't found that to be true. And obviously in your case, you started as one thing and transitioned into the other. It was a while back. <laughs> it was, I, it, I didn't have any problem. And also I would say kind of related to that too. Everybody I know that works as a concept artist or a vis dev artist um, everybody that I know personally has worked in like at least two of the three, either games, animation, or film. So I think there's a lot of bouncing around as well between those those industries. So it's like if you really want to work on films, you're getting a lot of like interest in the game. Like a games company has got a lot of interest in you, uh, but you want to hold out for films. I'm like, I would actually, you know, that doesn't seem like the case to me. It seems like you can kind of bounce around quite a bit pretty easily so um that's just my own personal uh, experience though so now uh over the course of your career you've been there for a while uh, a few projects now uh, when it comes to uh bobby was talking about like the constraints of working on a star wars project and what choices you can make um you said uh, you know uh no, no zippers no buttons uh being one of the constraints that you have um you I would just ruined the next watch for me because now i'm just gonna be sitting there going <laughs> just be like at zippers <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine when it comes to when you're so the projects that I know of the ones that you've been working on a lot of the times it's it's working within in between stories and in between things so you can't push things too crazy because you know if you're working on Clone Wars or you know Rebels or Force Unleashed, Force Unleashed or whatever you're in between some of the stories so Darth Vader has to look a certain way the universe has to be at a certain midpoint between two movies. So when you're trying to create something new and looking for something, you know, uh, inspiration, are you going back to then the source? Like, obviously, Kurosawa, Westerns, World War II. Is that, a you know, Flash Gordon, Devil Dogs? Are, are those things that people still kind of draw from to kind of come at it fresh? High five for naming them all. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, that was actually one of, uh, one of the biggest things, I think, for working in Star Wars is I, I, you kind of want to go back to you know, what Ralph McQuarrie was doing, what Nilo, what Joe was doing, but more importantly, what were they looking at? What, what, what inspired the Falcon, which you got the old hamburger story. Um, and all of these things, Kurosawa is like a must have, uh, you're going back and you're, you're not just looking at the visuals, but you're reading the stories and you're watching the movies. Um, and, and you're kind of, seeing you're trying to see what they saw it's like what was it that ralph was picking up on what was it that joe was picking up on and then you're doing your own take you're sort of developing this rhythm of understanding what they were what their mindset was and trying to put yourself in something similar um and then doing more versions of it Hopefully that way you're hitting cohesion, but as well as kind of unique, you know, finding your own way forward from the same sources mm-hmm. that they were inspired by. Nilo, I was just, I've just recently done a deep dive, uh, not as, you know, Ralph, obviously a very celebrated uh, concept artist for Star Wars, Ralph McQuarrie, and um, uh, the, the most famous, arguably, um, Joe Johnston usually gets, you know, obviously, you know, the you help co-creation of Boba Fett and other things like that. But yeah, Nilo, looking at his sketches and, and uh, 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 uh I can't think of his last name at the moment. Rodas uh, Romero. Rodas Romero, thank you. Um, 
and you know, the inspiration from the streetlights for the slave one. Yes. And everything else. Um, and, you know, I, that's as another, seems like another aspect of Star Wars is finding, you know, I mean, geometric, strong geometric shapes, obviously, Death Star, Star Destroyers, X-Wing, you know, it's always, you know, starts off with a little basic idea. Yeah. And with the ships, especially, because ships are my kind of favorite thing to design. Um, and the fun part about that is going back to George's original, like, little post-it note sketches. And his thing was, it needs to be simple enough in silhouette that a kid can remember it and draw it. So nothing is going to be too wacky. It's all going to be a triangle or, you know, a circle and an H, like a TIE fighter. Uh, so it's really fun to kind of start with those things, find something that's new and unique, and then start to build the greebles in and everything. And there's also, um, I love, I've gotten to work with him a few times, but Bill George um, at Lucasfilm, he is awesome and totally, I think, he's one of my heroes. Um, but he was in the original model department and worked uh, he built the B-Wings. He worked on Star Trek and Blade Runner, mm. building the practical models. And uh, one thing that I've snagged is somebody at work um, made a digital like 3D file of all of the original model kits pieces that they actually used. So when it comes to the greeble parts, I can use the yeah. same greeble pieces that were on the uh. Falcon. And you, you see, you're like going around this file and you're like, oh man, that's that's from the Falcon. I totally recognize what part uh. of the Star Destroyer so bridge that the, is. You're getting a kit bash on the digital level at this point, right? Yeah. But oh, again, man. it just helps that's you kind insane. of get in this visual rhythm of like you see the individual pieces and you're like, okay, I see how they were layering these. Right. And, and you kind of get in this, I'm going to keep using the word visual rhythm because I think it's awesome. And I mm -hmm. came up with it. And Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of the same. You're kind of like, okay, these are the kind of the typical angles. These fit together. Like, okay, I'm going to have to put a turret in here. Like, it, yeah. it kind of helps you a lot to kind of go back and try to recreate something um, or make something from scratch using the same pieces. Keep really patching from, from those originals because, I mean, essentially, it's it's a texture, right? The exactly. it's it's So it has, it's not, it should just be a thing that helps cohesion, right? Mm -hmm. A harmonious kind of cohesion visually. Which is very cool. I, I started salivating when you started telling me how you have this access to an entire 3D library of all the classic Greebles and everything. Uh, that's great. It's just for the Greebles. It's not for anything big like a big East have to come up with an awesome silhouette or the next big idea for a shape for a ship. But like, but it does help quite a bit when you're trying to put those details in. Especially with time constraints, right? I mean, it's not like you got all the time in the world to work on this stuff. There's, there's, there's a release date. There's a <laughs> exactly. There's yes. things happening. So anything that can speed that up so you can maybe, you know, have dinner with the family as well. Ain't <laughs> bad uh, with it as well. So one of the things I noticed, too, in your work is that uh, uh, now, if I remember correctly, you have some accolades in the fashion world. Was it a San Diego fashion show? Yeah. You had is. some work in? Yeah. So, yeah, tell me about your interest there. And, and I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a help for character design and concept art. It is. It's a big help. I've always been into um, Halloween. And I'm not, I've never done like cosplay, but I do love to kind of recreate and like sew up costumes and everything. So they had the San Diego Comic-Con, uh, they had the Her Universe fashion show and it was the first one and I applied um, and got, you know, chosen to be in the show. Uh, it was a really fun experience and I mean, I think most of the people there were professional, like, there were a lot of people there that had done fashion design and sewed, you know, for a living. 
so I was sort of trying to play catch up and everything. But it was really fun. And I, I think the costume design, if you're interested in costume design at all, um, as a as a character designer, um, to actually kind of immerse yourself into that as a hobby a little bit because it's going to inform a lot of decisions you make. You want to make sure these people can put these costumes on if they were really especially, existed. Especially if it's live action. It's like, yeah, you need to make sure there's zippers where there need to be zippers and there's seams where they need to be seams. And I can't do this whole outfit as leather because there's no way he'd be able to move, you know? <laughs> um, so it, it'll give you a lot of that like tactile... Um, you know, you're going to learn the difference between the different types of fabrics and how they move and, and help, help paint them, honestly. Because uh, the other thing, it's really kind of rare to see somebody that can really do f- paint flowing fabric with lots of realistic, like, how it, like, gravity and weight to it. Um, so it's nice. And it helps you inform that a lot because it's like, oh, I've worked with this. I know how heavy this fabric is. I can sort of, like, scribble this in pretty quickly. Um, it just, it helps across the board because if you're not, you know, if you're going to paint like the weight and the wrinkles wrong, it's going to get modeled incorrectly. You know, it's it's just going to be a, like this kind of, I'm not going to say mistake, but it's, you know, the, the end product might not be as strong if you're making, you know, more incorrect decisions early on. So it's just all reference. Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Even with the historical influence in the Star Wars designs too, going back, I, I've been encouraging some of my students when they want to like, some of them will say, oh, I want to take a class outside of visual development just for fun, and, but also to inform it, I will, I will say similar things. I will say fashion's a good thing. I encourage them to take history of fashion because that gives you a lot of then inspiration for it, at least the big blockets for designs. Because, I mean, the Empire is a very fascist influence on the Empire's designs and, and, you know, obviously kind of influenced by some of the, you know, horrible armies of human history. And um, you study that, and then you get into Napoleonic kind of jackets too or insignias and kind of things, especially if you're going towards the military kind of thing. And I think that that can be really fun and informative, but I don't think think about the materials as much too. Um, Kind of along those lines too, just because fashion is a lot of, uh, has a lot of psychological element to it. You're using a certain, in Star Wars especially, um, very psychological choices happening in the costume designs. Uh, Everybody who's a little bit off uh, bounty hunters, even Lando, weird color combinations. Um, And like Han, yeah, asymmetry, but your hero characters, very symmetrical, very neutral, natural colors for the good guys, very dark, heavy fabrics or armor for the bad guys. Uh, And then you have your anti-heroes, like when Luke shows up in Return of the Jedi, he's wearing all black. So you've suddenly broken those rules. Uh, But that's because you need to know he grew up. He's not wearing his white outfits anymore. We need to take him seriously now. Um, Han is a mix and match because he's got like military looking pants but like a white shirt and a gunslinger you know and he's not wearing any armor like that type of thing but more importantly actually is Anakin from the prequels he's wearing a Jedi cut but it's heavy dark leather and no other Jedi is wearing heavy fabrics or leather or dark so uh, you need to kind of be able to recognize those fashion choices when you're doing character design especially in a universe 
that's already established. Um, but yeah, I also took some psychological, I, I also took some like, um, some classes like in, in school that were kind of like, you know, the human brain associates these things, these colors with these things and stuff. So you can kind of use those in your toolkit when you're doing anything, designing anything as well. So it was, a, it was an important class to take. I always thought that with the leather, the dark leather choices for Anakin, it also coincided. I mean, obviously he's got the dark imposing future ahead of him and uh, uh, moods and rage and attitude. But I always, he, he, as a kid mentions, you know, I'm cold. I'm cold all the time when I'm not, I'm used to living in the desert. And so I thought that looks hot. It looks like a warmer outfit. And maybe he's more comfortable that way. See, I don't know. It all adds up. It all, it's, it's all ordained. So, I also want to ask you maybe a couple impossible questions. Oh. So, like, I don't know if you have a favorite character that you can think of that you've designed, that you worked on, that, that you're proudest of, that, something that, you know, that you, when you think, oh, one day when I look back on my career, this is probably going to be one of the highlights in terms of character design that you worked on. Oh, man. Yeah, impossible, right? Um, like, I mean, for me, it's funny because the... Um, the Raxus Prime costume uh, for uh, Jedi uh, uh, Force Unleashed. Um, I mean, that, I don't know. A lot of my, when I do character designs now, that one shows up a lot in my character designs. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love the wrap. I love the head. I love the way everything, the balance of it. I love the, the, the thin quality of it um, uh, on some areas and then how it pops out in other areas, like at the wrist and stuff. Um, I just think, you know, it works so well. I use that one permanently in the game uh, when I was using it. So that would be <laughs> one of my favorites of, of, of what I know that you've worked on. Um, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I honestly, I'm not quite sure if I have one. I, it was, Starkiller Star and Force Unleashed are very near and dear to my heart um, to this day. Was a, I loved working on that project quite a bit. So that's an easy answer like anything from there. Um, honestly, I had a great time. I was the art director for Resistance, and it was really fun just working on background characters. Because we said early on, I want a lot, which is actually kind of unique for an animated show, especially a 3D one, is to really invest in background characters. Um, but we did it. And we wanted a lot of droids. We wanted a lot of alien species and stuff like that. So we got really, and it was such a pushed style that we were able to, get a little bit wacky with them as well. So I, I mean, I loved working on Flix and Orca and in like any of like, there, there's this baby droid. This like basically like if R2 and a gonk had a kid, like it's this, and it's this tiny little droid that's just toddling around in the background. That was great to work on. Um, I, I had a lot of fun because there's a lot of freedom in those. Um, and you're sort of, it was sort of like being a kid and like you can draw anything you want for Star Wars Go. So um, I think I appreciated that quite a bit. It was really fun. Uh, but there's a lot. There's a, a, lot of, a lot of them for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, the, with, with Resistance too, yeah, that, like you said, that really pushed style, obviously, that allows for like a, you know, easier implementation of almost any kind of design principle, uh, it seems like, in there. So that would be a lot of fun. Uh, that brings up another question that I know is, is a big part of concept art and visual development. How do you approach the character design versus the background and sets. I mean, they seem so connected, but almost, you know, sometimes the background is more interesting than, than the character and vice versa. How do, how do you approach those two different entities? I, I actually kind of approach them the same. Um, kind of going, going back to our storytelling aspect, it's almost easier sometimes to tell, tell a story with a background, with a set, than it is with a character because you've got way more tools who lives here? How long have they lived here? How lived in is it? 
what are the little day-to-day? Do they leave their coffee cup on, like, the coffee table? Um, you know, you're, you're sort of, like, designing it as a character for a character um, for a specific reason. So you can there's a lot you can add into it. Um, and so I always try to approach it the same way. It's like, this is furthering a story. Uh, how can I do it? What can I draw in here? What, what can I use for, like, lighting motivation for the set? To kind of does it need to be dark and gloomy and scary? So I'm not gonna design a lot of lights. I'm just gonna have like the bare light bulb, um, or like the you know fire furnace underneath the grating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> underneath the floor, so I can get some creepy up lighting. Um, you know, you're sort of always thinking of what is this room for? What's gonna happen? What's gonna be dramatic um, for the scene? Does it need to be dramatic? You know, does it just need to be? You know, sometimes it is just a hallway to connect two rooms, but you still wanted to try to find ways to to make it all meet up to, you know, you're going from point A to point B, whether or not it's like, you know, physically going from point A to point B or like storytelling wise or mood wise or, you know, beat wise. So you're sort of understanding your place, your design's place in that bigger story and making sure it sort of all jives together. It was the uh, the uh, photography's chamber is probably my favorite set of all time, and uh, you know grading, uh, mm-hmm. firelight, whatever. And uh, I saw a video analysis where it was broken down that essentially represents a technological hellscape. You have the black magma floor, the blue twilight sky. You even hear bubbling sound effects in the background uh, when you hear it to reinforce that ideal. So that this idea that Luke has been, you know, drops down into hell to face the devil uh, mm, cool. uh, in that moment and psychology. Color, shape. There's obviously spiderweb motifs throughout uh, the whole series as well, where he's trapped and everything. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and so I, I think that's that's something that I also like, and I like that when it's done in Star Wars, is to have that be representational, trying to hide what it is, but make it unmistakably clear to the audience that this is good or bad. Or yeah, I think it's the big thing uh, working on Star Wars is like everything's got a theme. So you know, you, you kind of wrap your head around the, that that theme. And deliver something that kind of fits in with it is is nice. So, um, and, and, uh, talk about so with character design again with Maris Brood uh, early passes she was kind of piratey in the beginning, right? Uh, on Force Unleashed in terms of that project that you enjoyed, um, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but she she ended up, I mean, still kind of like punk, sort of a gothy, punky kind of a character. It almost seems like um, in terms of like her her final look. But how much? I mean. That's a really fun way to approach a character. I love pirate designs. I there's not enough buckles and belts uh, and sashes and things like that. Agreed. Uh, and um, so, like you know, how was it? Was it a matter of stripping away when you were designing her character? Did it start off with more stuff on it, and then had to get reduced down? Or I think uh, the other thing is being flexible because <laughs> projects and stories go through iterations. You know, even if you're sort of in production, they can kind of, things can change. And that's sort of what happened there, too. It's, you know, she had one one sort of part of the story, and then that kind of changed, you know, somewhere along the way. And, and you know, so you sort of had, okay, what, what do we have to work with now? Like, we've already had this, now what can we do visually to make it, Still makes sense, but, you know, not overall. So sort of, I think with a lot of design tasks, it's like that too. It's not just all pretty awesome pre-production viz dev art. There's a lot of production art that happens as well and where you're kind of like working within constraints um, and timelines and very specific needs and stuff. So that happens a lot. So it's just about being flexible 
and and working really closely with like the character artists and the storytellers and everything um, to, to still sort of like get things to a place where they're still going to fit. Um, and, you know, there, there's going to be some some compromise. Some, but, uh, some casualties. But yeah, but being okay with it is part of the job, yeah. And I don't think she turned out bad at all. But I'm just saying, like, you know, it was kind of like a, it was a different, she had a different part to play originally. Well, I, I try to tell my students a lot, too. You're not making, uh, you're not making artwork, you're making a game, you're making a movie. That's the product you're making. Theoretically, people should never see your work. I mean, we live in a place where this stuff is celebrated and enjoyed, especially by the nerdier parts of our culture. Um, but, you know, uh, if it serves the project better, then that's what's got to happen. Um Another impossible question. So I don't know if it's the same one, though. Like, do you have a favorite project, you know, a favorite production that you've worked on? I know, right? Yeah, that one is impossible. (laughs) Sure. Because the part I love about the job is how wild and varied it is from project to project. Um, Everything's, like, had its own unique, um, awesome place in my heart for different reasons. And um, I couldn't pick one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've worked on everything, so, you know, it's hard to say. Through cartoons to games to live action to everything else, like, you've really explored the gamut, so uh, that's, that's kind of impressive by itself that you had worked in all these different mediums. How much separation is there between the games and film and animation? I mean, you know, Star Wars as a, as a, as a legacy seems to have been the best example of all things conglomerating into to one where if you don't have the game you don't have the the if you don't play the game you're not going to get the movie if the movie you don't get that movie you're not <laughs> going to see the, it, it's all like a great a great ecosystem you know how do you see that going or more how, how do you think on those on those three different paths when you're creating um i i think just from a from a concept artist point of view um, you're using the same skill sets and you have to be able to do a little bit of everything because um, at least in my experience, I've had to, in all the artists on the team, we've all had to do a little bit of everything. We've all had to be character designers and vehicle designers uh, and viz dev artists and storyboard artists and lighting concept artists. Um, so everybody's got this broad skill set um, and you're using those between the three and your sort of your approach is the same. The problem solving approach is the same, but I would say just kind of on a on a project level, the games is games is a very iterative process. So um, the concept art is going to be iterative too. You know, it's not just oh here's your main character, it's fine. It might I mean it could be, but you know you kind of have to. Uh, the whole game is being tested and developed as you're drawing. So you know you might have to go back and redraw something a few times or oh these hallways aren't as big as we had gray boxed them so now the characters have to be smaller you can't have the giant mech hanging out in the hallway anymore so we need to redesign this guy really quick um so it's a bit more iterative it's a lot more collaborative and working really closely with a lot of different disciplines um at least in my own personal experience um and then for animation there is a really quick viz dev um development period the visual development period is usually very short uh and very quick so it's about getting a lot of ideas out really quickly um and not really as finished as you might like but you know you're just kind of getting through these what's the basic feel for the story going to be these are kind of basic feel for the main characters uh but then you're really quickly jumping into production so you have to be a production artist and then you're really specifically designing for a script for specific stories for specific 
you know, characters. Um, you know, and it's a little bit more streamlined. And then for film, it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, you know, it's working really closely with the director and it is, it's very iterative still. Uh, but you know, you're sort of like, you're concentrated on your, t on your task and, and kind of helping develop that visual world and that story, but it can also lead into post-production. Uh, so, you know, it's like, uh, you have to Especially do matte paintings now. Yeah. Uh, we filmed these characters against a blue screen. What's the background going to be? You know, and you're constrained to like that camera's fixed, characters mm -hmm. are fixed. Mm -hmm. I've got to do something right. that works for everything. Um, and this is my this is my box. This is my ballpark. I can't go outside of it. Um, so it's it's just having all those different mindsets and and being able to try to jump around and do a little bit of everything is important across the board. But that's sort of how I've used them in the past. Interesting how, yeah, concept artists are being involved in posts. Like we had a guy uh, come and speak, Holly Wartz is his name. And um, he, yeah. worked, he, he was working on, he's worked on some stuff there. And uh, he was working, he was telling us about how he was working on um, Civil War. And they were finished filming and they realized, oh, we don't have any interiors for Iron Man's suit when Ant-Man's in it. We haven't come up with that at all. And it was like, I guess it was like Christmas time and they needed it. And they're like, hey, what? He was like, okay. And he went ahead and got it all done. And mm -hmm. you can head to die. Like you say, it's, it, it's the same process. Reference die first. What was that going to look like? Ah, circuit boards. What do the insides of computers look like? Let's do that. You know, and then move, make it a cityscape, but with, you know, that, that kind of material as its, as its level of construction. Mm -hmm. um, so us being involved in that side of things is, is kind of interesting too. What's, What's the what would you say is the most like longest or the most you know involved like the biggest you know project you've been a part of? Probably the Force Unleashed, uh, mm -hmm. because you know for a game at least back in the day you know five six seven years, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was on it from beginning first day to last day, which has been nice. I've I've really enjoyed that and even in uh, the animation um I, I joined clone wars around season four but for rebels and resistance again like from day one to last day being on it kind of seeing the whole thing through and, and being a part of the whole process was nice but i think it was more involved in games so so force unleashed was uh i have this joke because uh it's i still kind of friends with sam whitwer who played star killer but like whenever if we end up like um, if I see him at a convention or something, you know, it's be like, oh yeah, my job was drawing his face for seven years, so <laughs> I guess I'll draw his face from memory. <laughs> it's hardwired into your DNA by now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, now, because we're the, a podcast for the academy, we have all these students. Uh, they would be uh, a bunch of. If we ended this without asking, you know, the question, you know, what would you recommend? What are you looking for? Yada yada. A million souls would suddenly be silenced, uh, there'd be a great disturbance in the force. Uh, what would you say is important to keep your eye towards when developing work for uh, a place like ILM, uh, working on Star Wars projects, or in general? Um, and, you know, what kind of things to, are important that you think they should be keeping in mind, or what are you not seeing enough of? Again, it might just be my own, own personal um, kind of journey at Lucasfilm, but it does seem like everybody else that I've worked there, uh, work, worked with there on, on everything, um, we're not focused on one thing. We're not just a character artist. We're not just a storyboard artist. We're not just, we, everybody has to do a little bit of everything because you never know that next script or that next project might not need robots, might not need, you know, that one thing that you're known for and really good at. It's okay to have your passion and your, you know, your, your strength, 
But I think it's always nice to see a portfolio where, you know, somebody who's definitely focused on character has also taken a crack at a really cool set that they've tried to turn into a character. Or used, uh, here's some lighting studies where I tried to play the character of this uh, with the light. The light is the character. Like, um, seeing that type of thing. So it's seeing more of a broad skill set. Honestly, too, I don't know. It depends. If you, especially if you're getting into animation, different styles is important. I, I've had to draw in different styles my whole life. Like, you know, Resistance was very different from Clone Wars. Um, you know, film's very different from animation. <laughs> and games has its own sort of flavor as well. So it's it's sort of like uh, just just try things because the other good thing about trying these different styles and these different approaches um, are you going to learn something about yourself as an artist as well? Like you're going to break out of your comfort zone. You're going to learn more about yourself. Like me, I didn't, um, I didn't think I would be a vehicle designer because that's just not really where my brain was at the time. Turns mm-hmm. out I love it. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> really? Give me all the ships. Yes. What, what was <laughs> um, the attractive part of that? I, I do love that that sort of like start start the Star Wars thing of starting with what's that basic shape going to be that a kid can draw, like because it's easy to get really complicated really fast. So it's like now you're reinventing the triangle, you're reinventing the circle. <laughs> like what are you doing? Right. Um, or putting them in a putting them in a combination that hasn't been seen before that still feels Star Wars, right? Like that's a it's a huge problem to solve the next Star Wars ship that feels like Star Wars that's not like, oh, it's just an A-wing with something on it. Like, that's a really fun challenge, and it's the, it's the biggest problem to solve, I think, visually. So I enjoy that the most. It's interesting, obviously, because you also, I mean, whatever, I guess, the, the, the big, one of the biggest things is obviously you're working on something with a huge pedigree, right? Some of the best artists in the world have come before on these projects and worked on stuff and... Now the job is to <laughs> continue that. Hopefully, you know, uh, I remember uh, Ian McKegg once said when he was designing Darth Maul, I'm not going to out-helmet Darth Vader. He, he tried and he wasn't going to, he stopped. He wasn't going to be able to do that. And, you know, who's, is anyone going to ever outdo the Millennium Falcon in terms of a design or even Slave One? You know, uh, it's, it's cool to try. There's been, and there's some really cool ships and, you know, you never know. But it's, it's tough, I think, right? Also to kind of work within you know, live up to that, but also keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing about keeping it simple too, by the way, that I also love is that one thing I also try to get across to students is that a big part of our job is to sell toys. That's part of our job, right? Oh, that's yeah. part of a successful <laughs> right. franchise. And Always think funny. of the Lego set, yes. It's funny, <laughs> but that's, that's I mean, that's going to keep money flowing ultimately. Like, and if, if some people like your work and if it's understandable to a large swath of people, then that's that's a higher level of success, which is must be a factor, I think. I, uh, I don't go into a design thinking, okay, what's, oh, this better be epic because of the toy or whatever. But sure. I will say... It's been nice, um, like working on projects where you go over and you look at what somebody's done, and you're like, "I would spend five hundred dollars on that Lego set." <laughs> like, yeah. so you don't go into it thinking that, but you know, it's it's awesome when you see something come together. Could you three D print one of those real quick, just for reference, <laughs> just so I have it on my desk? <laughs> Sometimes the designs that I don't enjoy as much are the ones that. You can tell that wasn't uh, the, the the simple shape language isn't quite as present, you know, or something. It felt like that wasn't as much of a, a thought process. Um, uh, I tend to the ones that I really gravitate towards that I see being really successful are the ones where they start off with a relatively simpler, kind of recognizable base. 
So that's I find that encouraging, generally speaking, uh, because then, yeah, you go back to simple stuff and then make it complicated. I like that way of doing it. I think with everything, yeah, even with characters and stuff, you always want to work on a silhouette, like what's a distinctive silhouette? Again, gesture. It can be the gesture that makes it distinctive as well. But um, uh, yeah, it's sort of finding that shorthand. You might not show your shorthand to an art director or get it approved, but it's nice to do like that. I'm going to give myself half a day to do these these studies. And, and kind of what's standing out to me and then take that to the next level. Well, to wrap it up a little bit, I do have the, uh, you know, it, we've kind of danced around it, but I, I want you to, you know, tell us, you know, wh- what's your hope? What's your, what's your character? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your favorite thing that you want to bring in? What's the, uh, Hey, here's my special book of characters that I think should be in there. Is there anybody, uh, you want to see in the star Wars universe that you, uh, are slowly trying to ham fist in and make sure that this character <laughs> is there. Uh, no, I actually think I've been there long enough. I've managed to get a wedge in. <laughs> nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, because my favorite EU character is Thrawn, so that was what I actually got to mm. get that task for putting Thrawn in Rebels. So I got yeah. to to design him. That was fun. Um, mostly it's just sort of like, I like to, uh, come up with the dumb names for things. <laughs> so like for Force Unleashed, uh, it was like, okay, there's Ugnaughts and they're driving a mech and I'm like, oh, it's a big mech. So it's like Juggernaut. Okay. What if we called it the Uggernaut? Nice. And so nice. we started like the team started calling it the Uggernaut and then finally they're like, oh, you know what? We need another mini boss. <laughs> ABC, give us an Uggernaut. So, you know, it's like, it's like I come up with, you know, it's just kind of coming up with these silly little things sometimes and then it, turning it into something that is a real thing. It's very Star Wars, though. Dengar, <laughs> you know, these, these names that are just kind of sometimes two syllables mashed together, too. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. All right, Jeremy, any last questions you have for Amy? No, I mean, I have. I, I know, I, I know, and also a thousand. I know, uh, I know. So. <laughs> I know. Um, well, you know, I did, there, you know, there's that one question I do want, want you to kind of key on, a, uh, you know, give us some more tips on. Because, I mean, there's students and there's also us working professionals who are just fans of Star Wars. And, you know, the idea of fan art and working with IP. And I know I talked with Jeremy a lot about this. You know, what are some of those some tips on that that you can give from inside the great universe that people should be thinking about when it's, you know, if you, if you want to be working with Star Wars IP and you want to be, you know, drawing your version of something, what is it something you think people should focus on and keep in mind? I, I think we had, um, sort of what we previously covered a little bit was, were some of my bigger points. I think, like, look at what Nilo, Joe, and Ralph are looking at, uh, you know, and sort of do your own original take, be inspired by the inspiration. Um and again, I th- just be a nerd about gathering reference and about yeah, studying the psychology of things and the storytelling, the Joseph Campbell, the Kurosawa, like that all has valid DNA in Star Wars. So, you know, spend that time to sort of like immerse yourself in that inspiration and that world and that way of thinking. Um, and I always think it's a great idea to kind of come up with your own story, your own characters. Um, and... I think through this whole thing, you know, we've been talking too about how storytelling in art is so important. So I think that's another reason why it's a good idea to kind of come up with your own story and characters. And then you can do, hey, here's some keyframes. Here's some character designs. Here's some vehicle designs. You can kind of present your world 
in in a nice little package, you know, that's sort of like easy to understand, easy to read, um, and not just like one or two like pieces that don't really have too much in common with each other. Um, it is a it is a lot to to think about because it's also color and lighting are very a camera is very important in Star Wars as well. So it's like if you're going to do a keyframe, make sure you're using kind of a standard Star Wars like camera and camera angle, um, that type of thing. Uh, it, you know the VFX are sort of in the VFX language and everything. So there there is a lot to think about. But I think with any project, even if it's Star Wars or not, because I've had to work on some non-Star Wars stuff too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, I need to kind of spend that time immersing myself in a, um, what does this look like and feel like, and how is this different from everything else? Um, you know, so, so, so sort of like getting your brain in the right spot is important. And I usually spend about half a day doing that at least. That's good. Because then as you move forward, you've got that flavor, right? You've got that kind of uh, vector planted in yourself so you can hopefully move forward with confidence. I, I would also say, too, um, I, to me, a good example of everything you're describing was that uh, the uh, ILM art challenge on Art Station a couple of years ago. Um, they did, uh, Bobby, for anyone who's listening who's not familiar, uh, ILM did an art uh, challenge contest uh, with in collaboration with the uh, with Art Station and basically gave out these ideas like students, artists, uh, kind of did visual development projects for ILM. I mean, it was intense. It was like a full work week for a week. You know, it was the real deal. It felt like, um, and artists had different stages and, and would get guidance from ILM once they were picked, you know, they would submit something. And a lot of people came up with a lot of different choices and a lot of different ideas within the universe. And, um, they ended up picking a uh, three place because there's prizes like Cintiq was a big prize. Anyways, they, they had prizes and there were the top three, uh, three people who won very different styles than the top three people who won. And so just like what ABC is talking about, like when we're working in different styles, um, when you have that, when you see different styles or working in different styles on the same project, you start to isolate what's important amongst those things. And it's not necessarily how you render or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like what colors and shapes are you using that end up being the thing that are the most consistent across all those mediums. Exactly. That's a, a great, that's a great example. I was a, on a team of judges for that. And it was interesting being in the same room as everybody who's been doing this, you know, you know, like Doug and, you know, Alex Jaeger and stuff and knock and, we were all drawn to similar things for that same reason. It's like this person has put themselves in the mind of Star Wars, given us something original and unique, and you're just you're immediately looking past some of that technical stuff and some of that, yeah, exactly the stylization, um, because you can tell when somebody understands. I mean, it's the DNA again, but you know what I mean. It's like they've got that that sort of visual um, rhythm of what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's Star Wars. Visual rhythm. That's right. But use that one more time. It's <laughs> pending. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is that a lot of times students want A plus B equals C. ABC. Um, they want <laughs> they want a, they want an equation of how to be successful. And sometimes though that 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 secret X factor isn't definable. And that's almost kind of what you guys were noticing. I mean, you're doing your best to define it. I think you did a good job of kind of saying study it, immerse yourself in it, become aware of the camera. You know, uh, things like that. Um, that's, 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 that's a good insight. I think visual rhythm is our takeaway from all of yeah. this. That, that, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, I'm going, we'll make some t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. I you guys that's t-shirts. right. Exactly. Visual rhythm with ABC. <laughs> so there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about how to create the world of Star Wars, how to create concept art. 
And as more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, right now anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, visual development, game development, UX design, and more, visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.